Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday morning. We thank you that you've brought us here safely. We thank you so very much, God, for a nice building with, with power and lights and heat and warmth. We ask, God, that you would, now that you have brought us to the main part of the opening of the Word, that you would speak to us. We confess here this morning of January the 10th, God, that apart from you we can do nothing. Those are the words of Jesus in John 15, and we believe it. And so we ask today, God, that you would give us faith and increase our faith, that we would be believers in your word and empowered to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there in front of you, and it's page 911. 911 is the page in the Pew Bible. I want to say thank you to everybody that filled in for me as I was gone. Uh, I also need to say Happy New Year uh, to all of you. This is the first that I've been here on a Sunday, even though it is our second Sunday. Uh, I wasn't gone really that long. On December the 27th, I was really sick, and I am thankful to Micah's dad who filled in and preached for me. Y'all remember that. And then last Sunday, January the 3rd, I was, I was gone. Uh, we were visiting our family in North Carolina. But we are very glad to be back, and so Happy New Year to all of you. Um, I told you that I was going to preach through the Psalms just to get us to Christmas, and now here we are in the new year. And so before we start our next book to go through, there's a couple things that I want to preach on. Today's subject I really want to preach on, and it is um, the message that needs to be heard when we start thinking that the end of the world is near. And that is a subject that is uh, of great curiosity to many people. Everybody's always asking, are we near the end? Is this the end? And every single little thing that happens, everybody asks, is that a sign that we are at the end. Um, people love this topic. This is the one that people are always asking about. Almost always when I ask a Bible study or a church or whatever, what, what, uh, what would you like to study next? People always ask, can we study the book of Revelation? Even though we just finished studying the book of Revelation, they ask, can we start it again? Because people are fascinated by, by that subject. And that's what we're going to look at some today in Matthew chapter 24. Now, I want to say that I, I've had this very message right here. You see in your bulletin, it, it has a title that says, The Cold, the Calm, the Collected. The one who endures to the end will be saved. I thought I was going to preach this on December the 27th, but I got really sick and was not able to. And so, maybe God didn't want some people that were here that day to hear it. I don't know. And then... I was excited about preaching it today, and then the snow comes, and we've got a much smaller crowd, and I'm thinking, maybe there are still people that God doesn't want to hear this very message. But I'm ready to preach this, and I want you all to hear it. It's about who will be saved. The cold, the calm, and the collected you will see are, are people in the passage. The answer is, you must endure to the end in order to be saved. Okay? There's, a, there's an idea that we use in 
sports that carries over to life, and if it carries over to life, then it certainly carries over to spiritual life and Christianity. And for me, as y'all know, everything in sports helps me with Christianity, be a follower of Jesus. And that is, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I hope you've heard that before. If you watched the Bengals and the Steelers last night, you believe that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. The Bengals played terrible for three quarters. Then in the fourth quarter, they turned it around and they came back to win the game. But then in the very last minutes of the game, they went back to being foolish again. And they lost the game. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It doesn't matter if you're a minute away from winning the game, you must finish, right? It's not over till the fat lady sings. It's not over till the clock says zero, 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 right? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Well, in Christianity, listen to me, church. This is awesome. Scary, but it's awesome. It's awesome because it doesn't matter what you were like yesterday, you're not to the finish yet. It doesn't matter what you were like in the first half of your life or the first third of your life or the first three quarters or seven eighths or nine tenths or 99% of your life. If you finish right, you'll be right in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord. I love the testimony of the thief on the cross beside Jesus. Can you imagine when they are in heaven and everybody's talking about some of the good works they've done? And indeed, there's a lot of people in heaven who don't have a lot to brag about, but they still might say, man, but once God finally did save me, man, He changed me. But this fella who was on the cross beside Jesus, when the good works conversation starts happening in heaven, doesn't have a single thing to say. Nothing. Except for, right before he died on the cross, he trusted in Christ and God saved him. It's not how you start and it's not how you live in many ways as long as you know it's how you finish. This is what we highlight when we do these Philippians 1-6 testimonies, right? That I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm also not what I'm going to be. That God has told me, He's working in me, that I would finish strong. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. The Bible teaches us that we don't know when the end of the world is coming... And so we may be able to think about how we're going to finish if we're looking at like the length of our life and as we approach death, which even with that, we don't know when we're going to die, something I've been teaching a lot lately. You don't know when you're going to pass away. But we at least have in this idea, I'm trying to better myself before I die. But the Bible wants us to understand for as much of an urgency death places on our lives that there is an even greater urgency on our lives, and that is the return of Jesus, the end of the world. The Bible talks about this a lot. The Bible doesn't talk about us being prepared for death as a sense of urgency, although it certainly is one. The Bible talks about the return of Jesus Christ and therefore the end of the world as very serious and urgent. And that's the subject most people are interested in. We were sitting at our house sometime over Christmas break and we had a whole bunch of people over, uh, 15, 20 people sitting around, some in the kitchen, some sitting at the, at the counter, some on the couch, some on the floor, all over the place. 
and somehow, I don't know what happened, a knife falls out of the sink or either out of the thing that holds the dishes beside the sink. A knife falls, nobody touched it, and a knife falls out and like sticks into the floor. And somebody looks over and says, that is so creepy. You think Jesus might be coming back? And that's how people think, isn't it? We tend to think anything odd or mysterious or unexpected alarms us to, is this the end of the world? And when we read our passage today, we're going to see that that's not only something new, that's how people have always been. People are always wondering, when is the end of the world? Because the end of the world seems to be such a huge, huge event, unlike anything we've ever seen, that it fascinates us, it intrigues us. And if you believe that there will be a judgment and therefore it will be the ultimate ending, either to heaven or hell for every person, it matters. More than anything matters. It matters. It will be the experience unlike any other experience we've ever seen or known. And so we ought to be interested. Well, Jesus brings it up. This is Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus' final sermon. It covers chapters 24 and 25. If you like to read the Bible and study the Bible on your own, I would encourage you to make Matthew 24 and 25 one of your favorites. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Mount of Olives Discourse or sermon or message. It's chapters 24 and 25 and it's outstanding. Some people have called it the blueprint for Jesus's idea of the end times, what the end looks like in Jesus's mind, even more so, if you will, than the book of Revelation. It's fascinating. So I want to start us today at verse 3, and we'll read through verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. A heavy passage, right? Very heavy and serious passage. One we ought to read, one we ought to know and take to heart. 
I want to remind you here from the very beginning that we are Christians, followers of Jesus. And by the very definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we are followers of His Word. I'm not sure if you've thought about this before, but there is truly no such thing as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, who is not committed to the Word of God. Label yourself what you want. Call yourself whatever you like. If you are not committed to the Word of God, you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In so many ways, in so many different places, Jesus teaches us that. One of my favorites is John chapter 8, verse 31. If you remain in My Word, then you are truly My follower. And as He ends that passage, the reason why you are not My follower is because you cannot stand My Word. So all the people that we know who want to affirm Christ or their Christianity or their belief that reject the Word of God or the truth of the Word of God are deceiving themselves. There is only one type of Christian, and that is the one who is one because they have believed Jesus and His Word. With that said, we must teach it. Teach all of it. So even though passages like this are hard to deal with and at times are uh, concerning, we are committed to them. We ask the Lord for His help that we would understand them. It's not how you start, it's how you finish, and we see this. Let's walk through the passage. Jesus, in verses 1 and 2 of the chapter, has just left the temple. He was going away, and His disciples came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. But He answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is predicting there that the rebuilding of the temple will be destroyed yet again. And so they begin to ask, well, when? And that's their question that you see in verse 3. Tell us. Now it does, it does say in verse 3 that this is a private conversation. Jesus and the disciples. So this is not Jesus preaching a sermon to a great crowd of people. Verse 3 says they came to Him privately. So we can picture Jesus in a little small group, Him and the twelve disciples speaking privately. He wants them to understand the truth, the very, the very answers to our end-of-the-world questions. They said, tell us, when will these things be? These things there is referring to the destruction of the temple that Jesus just told them about in verse 2. When will that be? But then they ask again, what will be the sign of your coming? And then they ask again, what will be the sign of the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age is the question. Good question. It's a question people are always asking. And people, I want you to see, Jesus answers it. Jesus answers it. He says, See that nobody leads you astray. I want to give you three things that you are not to do in regard to wondering when the end is. Three things that you are not to do as you are wondering, are we at the end? When is the end? Could it be this year or could it be in my lifetime? Three things not to do. Number one, 
Do not be led astray. This is odd that the Bible would say this. But Jesus here says it very firmly. Being led astray is a very real concern. Jesus teaches us that there are lots of people who at one point in their life are saying they follow this teaching and this doctrine and this message But at some point, through influences, through life circumstances, through other teachers, they are led astray to no longer believe that. This is troubling to Jesus and to those that He would teach. That is a bad sign to Jesus. The question, if you remember, is when, right? When will these things be? Jesus' answer right here at the beginning doesn't answer the when. It is a very stern, serious warning. Whenever it is, be ready. In other words, don't you be led astray. He says it right there. See that no one leads you astray. If you look down at verse 11, he says again, false prophets will come that will lead many astray. If you look at verse 5, he'll say, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Three times in our short little passage of 10, 11 verses, you have him saying being led astray is a real issue. Church, I want you to hear. One of the things that you must do as you navigate through life and the rest of your life, knowing that you don't know how long you've got, you don't know if you'll make it till January the 11th, Monday, you don't know if you will live till the end of the world because we don't know when Christ will come back. But the one thing you must make certain is that you do not get distracted, that you do not get led astray. And this happens. I dare to say that everybody in the room probably knows people who have been led astray from where they once were trusting in Christ. Many we know who now would deny. Had a conversation this week with some people who are friends of mine, who are friends of friends of mine, who were even married here in this church some 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'm not sure, who are now self-proclaimed Atheists. Atheists. Something's happened. One of the things that I think has happened is that they have not read Matthew chapter 24 in a really long time, if if ever. I don't know if they know that the Bible says this. But they have come to a place in their life where at one point they were professing believers that they would say that they are Christians. They would say that Jesus is their Savior. But now, over the course of some time, some years, and maybe some experiences, now they say, we're not. They've been led astray somehow by something I don't know. This is the very thing Jesus warns us against. Church, I want you to hear that Jesus says, do not be led astray. And then I want you to put into into, into action a battle plan, a, a, a real concern for what keeps you from being led astray. And the Bible teaches us that you must commit yourself to the preaching of the Word. 
Even if you are struggling with temptation, and even if you are struggling with doubt, perhaps feeling like you're being pulled to be led astray, you ought to commit yourself to the very thing that holds you the love of God and hearing the preaching of the Word. I would expect that on any given Sunday, many of you would indeed limp in here, spiritually speaking, knowing that Jesus has taught us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so your life is full of doubt and struggle, but you've got to get here because the Word of God is our only lifeline. It is where we hear from God. And we want to hear the Word preached. This hour is so important. And yes, I even called Val today and almost talked her out of coming to church because it was dangerous. We had a sweet little old lady show up this morning for Sunday school at 9.30. I I tried to talk her out of coming in because it is snowy and icy and dangerous in the parking lot. I get that. I'm not upset with anybody that wasn't able to make it today because it is dangerous in the parking lot, even though we put salt down as much as we could. Yet, with that in mind, we are still having church because for those of us who were able to make it today, we truly want to hear the Word of God. We do not want to be led astray, and we understand that keeping ourselves from being led astray is not as much in our strength as it is in Jesus' love and grace from us or to us through the truth of the Word of God that we hear and therefore believe and cling to. I don't want my soul to go a 13, 14 day, two week span without hearing the preaching of the Word. And that's what happens if we don't make a Sunday. And if you don't make two Sundays or three Sundays, the next thing that happens is you may have not heard the preaching of the Word in the midst of a, in the midst of a group of believers like this, a community of people, a church family, and therefore you are setting yourselves up to be led astray. And when we respond by, well, not me, I'm strong, then we are falling back on our ability to be strong in and of ourselves, which is deceptive. Jesus says, do not be led astray. Verse 5, he goes on and says that many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. So not only does does life and issue and circumstance and temptation lead us astray, but now there are even people wanting to lead you astray. Wanting to lead you astray. When I was in college, there was this girl that I was friends with and God had saved her as she was about 17 years old. And, and from 17, 18, 19, she was doing so well. She was growing in the Lord. She had gotten committed to church. She was reading her Bible. I even recall her one time telling me of a passage of Scripture that she was memorizing. It still to this day was Titus 2, 7, and 8. I love those verses. She had memorized those. I remember her even telling those to me. And she was doing really, really well. Even had gone on two different summer mission trips, two different summers, and was following the Lord. Her parents, who were church attenders, pulled her aside one day and said, Listen, you're our daughter and we love you and we know that you're doing really, really well. And you're in college and you're making good grades. But this whole church, God, Jesus thing is becoming a little too much. You need to find a happy medium. You need to settle down with all this wanting to know Jesus stuff. Crushed her. She was done. In her mind, she said, if my parents are going to get upset with me, I don't know what to think. 
from there she was led astray. She didn't know how to handle her mom and dad discouraging her devotion to God. Jesus here warns that people will come that lead people astray. Jesus' warning here is that people will come proclaiming that they are the Christ, the Savior. They are the one who have the answers. We have all heard of cults that have come, made these promises, and the promises have not been fulfilled and people have been led the wrong way. Number one, things to not do, do not be led astray. Number two, Things to not do in regards to the end times, the end of the world. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Look at verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Does everybody see that? This, being led astray, is a great warning, great word of caution. But this, I think, is perhaps even more fitting right now to the Christians of our day. We are alarmed. If a knife falls from the counter and sticks in the, in the kitchen floor, it alarms us. I heard somebody say that night, is Jesus coming back? Everything seems to be alarming us. Like, what is, what is going on here? What's the world coming to? Right? How many times do you hear something crazy happy in the world, in our country, somewhere else, a shooting, a war, or something, and you hear somebody say, what in the world is going on? What is happening? Jesus wants us to know that we ought not to be alarmed at the way the world is going. It ought not to be catching us off guard. You know what an alarm is, right? You're sound asleep. You're not thinking about your alarm at all. And then all of a sudden, bam, alarm. Jesus says, do not let the world and the way of the world and the way things are going alarm you as to what's going on. Look what he says, verse 6. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Here's what we need to know. All of the things that you have been told or that you believe are signs that are at the end, Jesus says here, those are signs that it is not the end yet. This is not the end. So if you have wars or rumors of wars or false teachers or famines or earthquakes or conflicts or all the things that we are seeing in the world, those are signs that we are in the end, but those are clear signs that we are not at the end. He says it in verse 6. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We're not at the end because we see those things. We're at the beginning of the end. But Jesus has said that we are at the end since He was on earth, which was 2,000 years ago. So we're at the end end. I don't think we're at the end end until we're at the end end. Jesus says, whatever you are experiencing, do not be alarmed. Church, this is hard for us to get. It's especially hard for us to get because in our country we have lived so safely. We have lived with so much freedom and so much good stuff that we are alarmed by anything negative that we experience. There are places in the rest of the world where they have lived with, with tragedy and hardship for a long time. But for us here, it is especially alarming. But I want you to know, according to the teaching of Jesus here in the Bible, that we ought not be alarmed by these things. 
When life gets crazy and when things that we're not used to start happening, we ought not freak out. And we ought not go into a pity party. And we ought not look up to heaven and go, why? And we ought not say, how? We ought ought to not be alarmed. We ought to trust. In our men's and women's Bible study this week, in the middle of the week, one of the things that we, we were looking at a passage in the book of Acts, and one of the things that I was showing them is that all through Paul's life in the book of Acts, Paul is experiencing these crazy hardships and trials, and people are beating him up, and he's going to court, and he's put on trial, and God is talking to him uh, through it all. And through all of those experiences, God never says, like, man, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry your nose is bleeding. You've got a black eye right now. God's saying, hey, be strong. It's coming. Be strong. I want you to talk to them. Hey, it's about to happen to you again. They just beat you up here and tried to kill you in Jerusalem. Now you're going to go to this city and they're going to beat you up and try to kill you there. And when they do, I'm going to give you the words to say. It's never, hey, little buddy, I'm sorry this happened to you. Hey, Paul, remember I love you. I'm sorry that happened. I love you. Toughen up. It's not that. It's, Paul, I'm using you. You're a witness for me. My grace is sufficient for you. You're going to be strong. And when you get to the next one, they beat you up and they drag you out of the city and they try to kill you again. I'm going to give you the words to say, you'll tell them about me. It doesn't say in that passage, don't be alarmed. But it shows Paul not being alarmed. Paul didn't turn around and go, man, man, what in the world? I mean, all I've ever tried to do is be the best employee here at this place and now this is how you're going to treat me. I mean, Christians ain't got no freedom in this country anymore. I mean, we can't even do this. We can't even do this. You never see that. Us Christians are alarmed over everything in the world and we get upset and we freak out and we think that everybody should treat us better because we think we're better. Baloney! Stop being alarmed. If they drag you out of work and beat you up and say, you're going to believe in Jesus, you're not working here anymore. You ought not be alarmed. You ought to walk home and go, well, Jesus said it's going to happen. I'll be back tomorrow working my butt off. Most integrity, honesty, hard work ethic, loving, humble, servant, Jesus. Don't be alarmed. And if that passage wasn't heavy enough, look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There might not be a harder phrase in the whole Bible than that. Don't be alarmed. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, there is an easy way for you to not be hated by all nations, right? Very easy way. You just be what everybody in the world wants you to be and what every nation in the world wants you to be. You just make sure you don't say anything at all about an allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ as Him as Savior of the world, King of the world, and God of the world, and Almighty God and Judge. You make no commitment to Him and no allegiance there, and nobody's going to hate you, okay? I can help you learn how to not be hated, okay? That's an easy message. But if your sins are forgiven and there's a newness of life in you, you've been born of the Spirit, a new child of God, you've been saved by the blood of Christ, your conscience is clean, and you know that God has saved you, your allegiance to Jesus is so strong that you don't care who hates you as long as you don't compromise living for the glory of God.
And they know this, and Jesus knows this. He says, it may get bad. Do not be alarmed. Church, resolve this day through your commitment to Jesus and to His Word that you will not be alarmed at whatever comes. We have seen many times in, our, in the world for sure and in our country already of people losing their jobs and losing this or losing that or being treated this way or being beat up or we have seen people shot from the pulpit. We've seen churches burnt down. We've seen stuff like that happening. It's not very common, but it's happening. Jesus' message to us is do not be alarmed. Number three, number one, do not be led astray. Number two, do not be alarmed. And then number three, do not fall away. This is so heavy and so serious. Do not fall away. Look what he says here in verse 10. And then many will fall away. Listen, we don't just have a warning to not fall away. He tells us people will fall away. I I hate reading this. I hate reading this passage. I believe it, but I hate it. I'm a pastor. And the Bible says that for all of you that have officially joined our church, okay, who have committed yourself to me being your pastor, that means you have committed to me being the one who helps you love God and grow in Him. And the Bible says that you should live in such a way that you make my job easy. But the Bible, that's in Hebrews chapter 13. If you didn't know it, you can look that one up. You should live in such a way that it makes my job easy. But it also says that one day, I will stand before God in judgment and I will give an account for how you did living for Jesus and trusting Him. I hate hearing that. I hate hearing that knowing all of you all. I hate hearing that knowing that life is hard, that we go through trials. But you know why I ultimately really, really hate hearing that? Because Jesus just says that some people will fall away and then God tells me that I'm going to stand before Him and have to answer for why did they fall away. Did I not try? Did I not preach to them? Did I not teach them and warn them about falling away? we got somebody in our church who hasn't been in our church. I don't think they've been here one time in two years. Not one single time in two years. And I've been talking to them over Christmas break a whole lot. And, and, and I'm not really confrontational at all. And I was talking to them. And they said to me, well, I just really want you to know that I know I'm doing a lot of sins. And I know that I, I don't go to church anymore. And I know all of this. But I promise you, I still love Jesus with all my heart. Y'all, the Bible says that's not true. I'm serious, and, and I'm so non-confrontational, I'm afraid to tell them that. But Jesus Himself says, that's not true. Jesus says, you do not love Me if you are making excuses for your sins. I'm not saying that person is not a Christian. I'm saying what they just said is not true. There are Christians who have not been to church in two years straight, and they are sitting at home discouraged, convicted of their sins. But if you are sinning and you are saying that it's not sin and that God's not bothered by that, that is troubling and you may not be a Christian. We cannot say, it's okay for me to sin and love Jesus. That is not true, ever. Ever is that true. Christians hate their sins. Jesus says here that... Many will fall away. Look at verse 10. 
And under falling away, now I want to give you several things, four that I want you to see, that are characteristics of what happens when we fall away. It says many will fall away and they will betray one another. Y'all ever heard of church people or Christians betraying one another? Y'all ever heard of Christians that used to be really close and now they don't talk to anybody else? This is a characteristic. It says they will hate one another. Y'all ever heard of Christians and church people that hate others? You ever heard of somebody said, I'm not going to church there because I can't stand them. I heard it. I've heard it in the last month of somebody saying that they hate somebody. It's a sign that you're falling away. Now, let me, let me say this too. I, I realize that many of the people who are betraying and hating are still saying that they love Jesus. I'm saying that God is declaring here that's a sign that you have or are falling away. Call yourself whatever you want. We also have passages, we'll get to those, where Jesus says in the judgment, you're going to say, but I do believe in you and I did all these things for you. And Jesus is going to say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Loving Jesus happens in the heart. It doesn't happen outwardly only. So you have betraying one another. Then you have hating one another. And then, verse 11, let's keep going. And many false prophets will arise and they will lead many astray. So some people are going to fall away. They're still going to be good people. And they're still going to be believers. And they're not going to have hatred and betrayal in them. But they're just going to start believing things that the Bible doesn't teach. And they will have led, been led astray. It's troubling. And for all the people that think that they're right with God and they are believing something that the Bible doesn't teach, they've been led astray and it's wrong. Then he goes on to say, verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased. I want you to see that's the third thing under following away. Lawlessness will increase. You know what lawlessness means? I don't care about what is right or what is wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to disregard the law. And I think you could apply that to either what the, the law of the land is or what the law of the Word of God is. Lawlessness. When you start saying on any level, I know this is right, but I don't care, you're lawless. When you start saying, I know this is what mom and dad are telling me to do, but I don't care what they say. I know this is what the principal says to do, but I don't care what he says. I know this is what the cop says to do, but I don't care what he says. I know this is what God says to do, but I don't care what God says to do. When you have that attitude, that mindset, that heart, you are looking like the person here that Jesus says has fallen away. And let's be honest, it's increasing all right. It's increasing all right. Respect for authority is about gone. Respect for the authority of God is really about gone. Folks, we must believe the Word of God here. Falling away looks like betraying one another. It looks like hating one another. It looks like the increase of lawlessness. And then look at this one. At the end of verse 12. The love of many will grow cold. Remember when I said the title is the cold, the calm, and the collected? You got anybody in your life that used to love you? You're not sure if they love you anymore? You got anybody in your life that used to love to come to church and hug your neck and not anymore? The love 
will grow cold. Can I remind you that one of the characteristics of Christianity is not that we love people because they're so lovable, right? Don't kid yourself. That's not why we love people. We love people because God loves us. And because God tells us to. So being able to love people is not dependent upon whether they're lovable. Right? You don't love people because they're good neighbors. You don't love people because they're so lovable. You love people because you feel so loved by God. You see where I'm going, don't you? The reason why your love grows cold is because you've lost your love for God which in essence means you've lost your understanding of God's love for you. And it's concerning. All of this under falling away don't fall away. Three things that we don't do. We don't get led astray. We don't be alarmed. And we don't fall away. Don't let that happen to you. He still hasn't answered the question, has he? The question was, when is this going to happen? When is the end going to happen? And he hasn't answered it. Well, he's going to answer it in just a minute. But please see the, 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 the thrust of this message. Jesus is not concerned with you knowing when the end is. Jesus is concerned with you being ready for the end. But then in verse 13, he starts to answer. So there's three things I said to not do. But there's one thing that you must do. One thing right here, verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And you don't know when the end is. I might live to be 100, 65 years from now. I can't imagine. Oh, sorry, 64 years from now. I just turned 36 two weeks ago. 64 years from now, I might be 100 years old. And if I'm going to go to heaven, listen to me, I've got to be trusting in Christ at 100 years old. If I stop at age 90 and coast through the nursing home with a bad attitude as a grumpy old man that wants nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, I have no assurance at all that I'm saved, even though I had 90 years of good work stored up. You must make it to the end. Verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Matthew chapter 10, if you were to go back there in verse 22, Jesus is teaching again to His disciples and He says the very same thing. He looks the disciples in the eye and He says, this is where He's sending them out as 12 to go do the mission work, and He says, if you make it to the end, you will be saved. Charles Spurgeon speaking about, listen to this quote, it's awesome. Charles Spurgeon speaking about this, you must endure to the end to be saved, and that takes perseverance. You must stick with it. It's not how you start, it's how you finish type of thing. Charles Spurgeon says, by perseverance, even the snail reached the ark. Ever heard that before? What a good quote. Can you imagine? It probably took the snail forever to get to the ark. But if he wanted to be saved, he had to get to the ark. If you want to be saved, you keep believing. You keep believing. You don't let go. We have a zip line in our backyard, not a really long one. And we don't harness them in. We just say, hold on tight. 
And they hold on tight and they go all the way to the end and I catch them at the very end. It's not very long, maybe from here to that wall, probably not even that long. And I catch them at the very end. And I tell them, don't let go. Don't let go. They're going, and we say don't let go. If you let go, you're going to fall. And they're going, 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 going. And there was one time where I was ready to catch them, and about two feet before they got to me, the kid let go. He let go right before the end. And they didn't get hurt, but they could have gotten hurt. So it is with your life. Hold on to the end. Till the very end. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. One might ask, well, how do I know I can't endure to the end? This is, this is hard. And that's where the good news really becomes the good news. That when Jesus died on the cross for our sins... The Bible teaches that we died with Him in our sins and that by faith in Christ, which is a gift from God, by faith we are secure because the sins that Jesus died for, we get Jesus' righteousness. And God is the one that makes that happen in our hearts. We call that the new covenant. God doesn't just give us faith. God gives us a whole new being. The Bible says that God gives us new hearts once He saves us and changes us. And in the new covenant, speaking Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40, listen to this promise. This is Jeremiah 32, 40. God says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. What assures me that I'm going to keep believing? What assures me that I'm not going to fall away? God's promise in saving me is that what He's doing in me will keep me. Keep me from falling away. Well, what do we do about those that we think about who are falling away? We Baptists have always said that we believe in once saved, always saved may not be the best term or the best label. It's confusing in and of itself, but we use it all the time. That you cannot lose your salvation. There are lots of Christians in many denominations that believe that you can be saved and then lose your salvation. We do not believe that. But what we do believe is that if somebody does seemingly lose their salvation or somebody does fall away, we believe they were never really saved to begin with. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they all are not of us. John MacArthur says, those who do fall away from Christ give conclusive proof that they were never truly believers to begin with. One guy that I like to listen to all the time says, if they started with us, but they never finished the race, then were they ever really visited by Jesus' grace? A mark of salvation is that you will endure to the end. Your life ought to be set up to say, it's not about how I start living for Jesus. But it's about how I finish. And many have gotten excited, been baptized, come to church, ran down here to the family Christian store by the Outer Loop, Jefferson Mall, got them a new Bible. They get excited because they get their name on the front of the Bible. And I love when that happens. I do. I do that for people all the time. But that's just the beginning. It's not how you were when you were going through that. 
It's how you finish. It's how you finish. The Gospels end, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts starts. It's the very last time we see Jesus on earth. Jesus tells them that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because I'm leaving. And right there in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends up into heaven. Literally goes up into the sky and disappears. And the people are standing around. The disciples are like, what in the world? Where did He go? And somebody speaks up and says, Men, why are y'all gazing up into the sky? In the same way that He left, He's coming back. He's coming back. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Their question was, when's the end? And he finally answers it at verse 14, after the whole world has heard this message. The only thing that we know in the Bible that assures us of when the end is coming is when the whole world has heard the message. Jesus Himself says that He doesn't know when the end is. He says He doesn't know when He's going to return. But He does tell us, in verse 14 right here, that when this gospel has been proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. So what does He want from us? Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. Don't fall away. But make sure you're holding on to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this passage. Thank You, God, for teaching us that as far as our spiritual life goes, it's not as much about how You start as it is how You finish. And Father, thank You that You are able to keep us from falling. God, we ask today that You would give us a good understanding about finishing. God, we pray You would empower us to believe this. And we pray that You would guard us from being alarmed, from falling away, and being led astray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.